Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision. My name is Dr. Bill Takesta, and we're very, very grateful to the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International for sponsoring this telephone conference. In addition, this conference will be recorded by Airs LA, and you'll be able to listen to this podcast at www.airsla. That's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. And it will also be on the CCLVI website at www.cclvi.org. In addition, this podcast is also going to be broadcast on ACB Radio. So you can also go to www.acb Radio and hear this discussion that we have tonight where we talk about Social Security. Now, our guest this evening is Mr. Gordon Chan, and Mr. Gordon Chan works with the Social Security Administration in Los Angeles, where he is one of the specialists there who works on their teleservice. So Mr. Chan has many years of experience with Social Security, and he is familiar with all aspects of Social Security, including Social Security disability, supplemental security income, Medicare, and much more. So just want to thank you again, uh, Mr. Chan, and welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Dr. Bill, for the invitation. Yes, you know, this is one of the topics that people always have questions on. And at our center, where we have many patients with low vision coming in, many of them just are not even aware that they may be eligible for benefits through Social Security. So um, the first thing... Would you explain to our listeners out there who might be eligible for benefits from Social Security? What are some of the requirements? Well, that's a, actually a very broad uh, stroke there. Um, let me just start by saying the discussion we're going to have tonight, the information can be accessed off of the official Social Security Administration website, and that is www.socialsecurity.gov, and also they can be reached toll-free, 800-772-1213. Uh, but in general, there are two categories of uh, programs that a low-vision or blind individual may qualify. If a person has enough work history specifically five years out of the last 10 years, they would qualify for regular Social Security Disability, or SSDI, which is often confused with SSI, as you have stated, the Supplemental Security Income Program, and that would be what we call our needs-based program. So let's say I'm 16 and have total blindness, because I do not have sufficient work quarters of coverage, I would qualify or apply for the SSI program. Now, there are several instances where people have both programs, so it's, it's a very complex program, and there's a lot of major differences. If a person <clears throat> has consulted with their physician and it is determined that their vision will minimize or prevent them from working for 12 consecutive months or longer, they should make an application off our website, once again, socialsecurity.gov, or call our toll-free number and see if they qualify for the, our programs. And so for a person who is visually impaired, is it a requirement that they are legally blind, or can they be partially sighted in order to apply for the SSDI, the Social Security Disability? Now, once again, um, I'm going to speak in general terms. Typically, you have to have um, visual acuity of 2,200 or less in your best eye. So, I mean, this is a an area where you would have to <clears throat> meet the medical requirements. And on top of that, <clears throat> like myself, because I am blind, I'm totally blind, I meet the medical requirements, 
but I do not meet the other requirements, such as the earnings requirement or the resource requirement. So it's a, it is a very complex program, but if we're talking in generalities, um, if you and your physician feel that it may be time to apply for Social Security Disability or SSI, then, you know, by all means, uh, we'll be glad to take your call or have you log on to our website and make the application. Now, this there's a, there's a big difference between the two programs, which we will touch upon later. The regular SSDI, you can start the application off our website. The SSI, you can also start the application off the website, but you will have to make the call to the 800 number to speak to a local office, at, uh, to a claims representative at <coughs> your local field office. And for a person who is applying for the SSDI, the Social Security Disability Income, you stated that they must work five years of the last ten. So that really means that if a person has only been working for three years in a job, they would not qualify because they have not worked enough hours or enough work periods, and they have not put in enough money into the Social Security Disability Income Fund. Is that accurate? That's correct. Um, whenever you call, it's the teleservice representative's job to ask you questions and to look at your record. So you don't even have to really concern yourself with trying to remember, you know, you just call, give us your number, we identify you, we'll look up your information, and we always, <clears throat> for the most part, will ask you some basic questions like, Watch if you're married or single, because that will determine the resource limits. So if I'm asking um, a question and the person tells you, "Well, I have an inheritance of, you know, a hundred thousand for my parents," that's going to automatically signal to me that most likely they're not going to qualify for the SSI program. Or if I ask, "Have you worked five years out of the last ten years?" I never worked in my life. So then we screen, and we always you know, uh, do the interview so we know which program to apply you for. But once again, having the medical requirement is only part of the application process. And I do stress this application process takes about anywhere from four to six months. And um, if you, you know, are thinking or contemplating or applying, don't hesitate because this is only the first step. Now, Mr. Chan, in the event that a person has been working, let's say that the person does some construction work on the side or the person is a gardener, and is it at all possible that a person might have been working for 10 years but they have not put money into the fund because they're self-employed or that their employer has not contributed to Social Security so that they may have worked 10 years and they don't have enough credits or points uh, to meet those requirements? Well, yeah, that would be unfortunate. There are certain uh, limited instances. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Just got back from uh, the mountains myself. Um, there are certain instances where if you have not paid in or you um, – work for cash only or, you know, whatever your situation, you have to have paid the IRS. I mean, you have to have filed and paid Social Security taxes and have a doc. The record will reflect that, you know, you may be qualified for the regular disability. <clears throat> if you don't have enough quarters coverage, once again, the SSI program may be, you know, applied for. So that's why there's a big difference in the two programs. Now, how about also for SSDI, for the disability uh, component, um, must a person be a United States citizen or do they have to have a, a be a legal resident or is there any kind of requirement in that respect? Yes, um, they would have to be a legal resident as the minimum. <clears throat> 
Now, on the other hand, when you're talking about the other program, the SSI, um, the Supplemental Security Income, it, it's my understanding that that is completely dependent on the household income, and uh, a person does not necessarily have to be legally blind to receive SSI. Is that is that accurate? Well, I really can't touch too much on the medical requirement because, you know, they will do the, uh, let's say a person has a medical record, then that, that record will be examined. They will sign consent forms for the medical records to be obtained by the local field office and sent to the state disability determination services. And let's say a person doesn't have sufficient or overwhelming medical evidence, they can sometimes be sent to a doctor um, by by visiting a doctor that is they are assigned to by the local field office, then they would have the medical. But as far as the family income, if, let's say, I'm living at home, or let's say even if I'm married and I have, I'm have, i applying for SSI only, even my wife's income will affect my eligibility for SSI. That is a very restrictive income and resource-based program. So that's what we call it. That's a needs-based program. So I have uh, had some patients that are children, and these are children who they may be 8 months old or 12 months old, and their parents inform me that the family or the child is receiving SSI. So, again, in this particular case, SSI, work history is not a significant component. It's more so the, the income level. Is that right? That's correct. They do have to meet the medical requirement. On top of that, they meet the income and resource requirement, so that's why they have SSI. On the other hand, I have talked to parents who get denial letters and they want an explanation and when upon interviewing them they're you know, the child is living with both parents and the income is in excess of eighty thousand a year, then that's gonna disqualify them from the SSI program. I see. Now is there actually a particular level of household income that um you might be able to share in general that a person may qualify for the SSI? Do they have to be at a at a poverty level or is there any particular number, or is that really dependent on how many people live in that household? Yeah, they have actual tables, <clears throat> and depending on how many people are receiving, let's say there's two children and both receive SSI, that changes the whole dynamic if there's a parent on SSI and a child on it. So everything's determined through the uh, the charts, and there, there's no general guideline. Every individual household would be uh, <clears throat> examined, you know, on, on its own merit. But uh, I, I can give you, like this year, the federal rate means like if I live in Texas and I am um, receiving SSI, for a person who's not blind, that has gone up to $710 a month. Okay, so... <clears throat> but if you are blind, they do have a higher dollar amount. Oh, yeah, so, so blindness as mm-hmm. a as a, a medical condition, uh, people may be entitled to a little bit more money through SSI if if you're blind as compared to having another disability. That's correct. So the, if you're blind, you can receive nine hundred and twenty one dollars and forty cents as opposed to the seven ten. Oh. Now, how about for uh, 2013? Has there been any major changes in uh, Social Security with respect to the SSDI or the SSI for 2013? Well, there are so many different aspects. Um, We have individuals who work and they still receive SSI or SSDI. So it's possible to work. And that that conversation would involve a whole new uh, 
<laughs> set of topics such as a trial work period, um, the blank work expenses, a past program. Um, but in general, if the, the major changes, if you work and you are receiving disability, you have to assert, um, there are certain substantial gainful activity guidelines that you must keep under. So let's say we have instances where a person has a disability. Let's say they have diabetes and they are working, and then now their vision is even being affected. They would actually reapply to get a higher dollar amount. So there's all kinds of different scenarios. There's no real... Um, but the changes, let me just take a look at some of my notes here. Give me a second. Okay. For example, if a person is disabled and working, they can earn one thousand one hundred and forty I'm sorry, one thousand forty dollars per month and if they don't exceed one thousand forty dollars on a gross dollar amount each month, they can you know, work and still maintain their Social Security disability benefits. And if a person is blind and works, Annette has arrived. Okay, the earnings limit for blind is seventeen hundred and forty dollars. So there's a significant difference between, there's about $700 difference between someone who is working and a blind individual who is working and what they're allowed to earn each month. So that's that's a major yeah. change. <clears throat> so at this point in time, if a person is receiving SSDI, they can also work and earn up to $1,740 a month and not lose any of that SSDI benefit. Is that right? That's correct. And, that's and I always tell people to make sure you keep it a few, you know, $20, $30 below that just to be on the safe side. Yeah. And I believe that's an increase as compared to last year. Last year, was it 1600 and some odd dollars? That was the maximum that a person who was uh, blind could receive? That's correct. Um, you know, I... There were so many different things I um and on our <clears throat> I do apologize. Um when we're at work we have access to so many resources that I really don't memorize a lot of these facts and figures. Oh, that's okay. I, I understand you probably got these tables and things. Now, Mr. Chan, what about a situation? Let's say for example that I was a person and I was working as a computer engineer and I was getting SSDI because I was blind. And mm-hmm. then I was asked to do some consultation work, and I was now making $1,800 a month income as a consultant. Would that just reduce part of my SSDI, or would I lose all of my SSDI because I was over the $1,740? Unfortunately, this is a situation where if you exceed that dollar amount <clears throat> that will trigger. Well, uh, I, I do want to preface one thing. If you are receiving any type of Social Security benefits, whether it's retirement, you know, SSI, and you are working, it's really incumbent upon yourself to monitor your own earnings and make sure you report any changes to us quickly and timely. I have situations where people exactly that has happened where they exceed the limit they never let us know and we have a then we get notified from the IRS of their earnings and then they get a letter saying they've been overpaid and they're no longer entitled to disability so to prevent any situations like that from happening you know you have to know what the limits are and let your supervisor and control your own time to where you don't exceed that because as soon as you exceed that, you know, um, that kind of segues into the trial work period where if, let's say I became blind and I get retrained and I want to try to go back to work. 
there is the incentive program called the trial work period where I can earn as much as I can for nine months out of the 60-month block. It's a little technical. It's, you know, a little hard to understand, but if you, you know, you can download the publication off the website and read about this. But so let's say the first month I work and I earn $2,000 and everything's going great. And the second month I, you know, I I earn 3000 and then the job doesn't work out. They don't have to be consecutive months. So you have nine months within the first 60 months to earn as much as you can. So that's where people get into trouble because they don't track their their earnings and they don't understand the reporting res- reporting responsibilities. And after the nine months, if you go over the threshold, then you're going to trigger letters saying you were overpaid. So, you know... Uh, if you do find yourself where you are receiving disability or SSI and you're employed, please do a little research on your to make sure that you don't have a, a very negative situation. Wow, so that, that really is very critical. I mean, if you made $1,741, uh, it, it could really mean that it could trigger the loss of your disability income. Well, no, um... It's, it's not black and white because there's other incentives, as I've alluded to, blind work ex- exemptions, and that's where having a good relationship with your local claims representative and understanding what your rights are will really benefit you because you can, <clears throat> for example, if I'm an SSI and I have a guide dog, the expense for that guide dog can be deducted from my earnings for that month. And they don't count against my earnings, or you know, dry cleaning or transportation costs. A lot of things, but you really have to work closely with the local office to establish those guidelines. Oh, okay. So you may make seventeen hundred and forty dollars, but if you spend two hundred dollars on transportation and you have to spend another hundred dollars on dog food and whatever. Uh, it would actually uh, uh, adjust your income, so perhaps you're now down to fourteen hundred and forty dollars a month after that type of an expense. That's correct. And and how do how do um, people who do receive SSDI? How do we know who is the person that might be their claims <coughs> adjuster or uh, the associate who is handling their case? Is that something that most people who do receive SSDI or SSI, do they know that information? Well, oftentimes they do receive letters and correspondence from their local office. Um, on that letter, and that brings up about another topic, by the way. Uh, on that letter, oftentimes you will see a telephone number with the extension and the name of your claims representative. Or you can simply visit your local office, you know, and, and Say you need to speak to your claims representative, or you can even call. Don Hillstrom has left the conference. And you know, give them your name and social security number, and they'll tell you who your representative is. Okay, great. So it may actually be good to you know touch base with your claims representative and maybe speak to them once or twice a year. Just let them know what's going on and uh, get up to date with your own particular case. Yes, because employees do move from office to office. They get promoted. They, you know, they retire, or whatever. So there is a lot of transition. Um, but more, more, so yeah, that is important to kind of just uh, advise the claims representative of the local field office of any pertinent changes in your life, medically or especially with uh, in regards to work. <clears throat> now, I also touched upon uh, receiving letters. Obviously, people who are visually impaired um, don't necessarily like receiving regular print. So we have what they call um, special notice options, where if you call the 800 number and you say, you know, I'm blind, I'm receiving these letters, can I get large print? Can I get a CD? Can I get, you know, um, regular mail with a follow-up phone call? There's certain different formats that we can provide 
But can I have Braille copy? Tom has arrived. We do um, try to accommodate the visually impaired with special notice options. Oh, that's really great. So we could basically just call our, our local office, or would that be the 800-772-1213? Which office, which number would we call? Oh, it'd be best to call the 800 number. Uh, <coughs> we can always uh, assist with the special notice options. The local office can also do that, but, um, yeah, any of us 800 agents can accommodate that request. Now, um, Mr. Chen, what happens if a person is, you know, upper middle age? Let's say that I am now 65 years old and I am receiving SSDI. I have been receiving that for the last five years because of my blindness. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens at the time that I am at a point where I should be able to receive just regular Social Security for um, aging? Uh, would, is it possible that a person can receive both the SSDI plus the Social Security check that a lot of older folks get? No, unfortunately, what happens, and this is not only for disability, well, what happens is there's a natural transition from disability to retirement. So, but when you receive your disability, they extrapolate your numbers and they pay you as though you have reached your retirement age. So nothing will change as far as monetarily. The only significant difference is what you are allowed to earn. Now, instead of the limit of $1,740, all of a sudden you have a different limit because under the retirement system, you're, you know, each year is different. But, for example, this year, if you're 65, you can only earn $1,220 gross a month. So <clears throat> the blind... Um, dollar amount actually goes away because of retirement. Okay, I understand. Okay, so the person can conceivably still receive the same monthly check uh, as they get into retirement. It'll just then be called Social Security rather than Social Security Disability Income. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, great, great. Well, you know, do you have time so that we could open it up to some of our callers who may have questions uh, about Social Security or SSI or SSDI? Uh, Can you take a few questions? Sure. Um, I I do want to also announce that because of our severe budget issues, um, just in case people do not know, on Wednesdays, all the field offices close at noon. So if you're thinking of going in on Wednesday... Don't don't show up afternoon because you'll be very upset. Okay. Well, what are you guys doing in those afternoons? Are those furlough days, or are you guys in meetings, or what? what what's going on there? <laughs> well, that's I don't work in the field office, but the, there was a caller who did, and um, there's such a backlog of work at the local field office. I think um, they may be playing poker and drinking beer for all I know, but uh, I, I think they're working on their backlogs. <laughs> well, you know, what? at one time I even heard, Mrs. Chan, I heard that Social Security, they actually do hire quite a few people with vision impairment. Is that <clears throat> accurate, or was that somewhat of a myth that I heard? Well, there was a um, concentrated effort to hire the blind to meet, you know, the federal guidelines and but unfortunately, what happens is a person gets hired and they never leave. Oh. So, you know, there are quite a few medical and, you know, sick leave and annual leave benefits. So the, there were several employees, for example, in the Los Angeles Teleservice Center who had been there for over 30 years. I happened to be... The, one of the first six hirees from Social Security in over 30 years. In 30 years? Wow. Yeah, because once what, what has happened, once they, they met the threshold, they just uh, stopped hiring because I'll be very honest, to train somebody who's vision impaired 
it costs quite a bit of money. And then because we're protected, we have uh, readers who we they have to hire to help us with our workload. So that's another expense. And with all these budget cuts, unfortunately, um, there's just no, no new classes coming out. There were three hirings, and it, just in my office, we have eight visually impaired employees. And we out have 180 employees. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow, that's, that really isn't too many. Yeah. So. Well, you know, one other thing I'd like to ask you to touch upon is if a person is uh, disabled and they are receiving SSDI or if they're receiving, receiving SSI, are they eligible for Medicare health insurance? Okay. The only way a person can qualify for Medicare is if they have received SSDI for two years. After the 24th month of coverage, uh, then they would be eligible for the Medicare Part A and B. A person who is on SSI, unfortunately, would be limited to the Medicaid or, you know, uh, insurance. And with the uh, uh, the person who has SSDI for 24 months and they have the Medicare, is there also a, a drug benefit? Do they get Part D also for drug coverage? <clears throat> yes, they, that is actually handled through Medicare directly at 800-MEDICARE-634-227. And um, depending on their income, let's say you you earn – Nine, you receive $900 on regular disability, and you're now hit with $104.90 for the Medicare premium. If you were to call the 800 number, I would get your zip code, and I would refer you to the Medicaid office for the QMB program. That stands for Qualified Medicare Beneficiary. And oftentimes, if the state in which you live has this program and you qualify, the state will actually pay for your Medicare premiums. Oh, really? <clears throat> and is that $104 Medicare premium, that's usually a monthly fee of $104 per month for the Medicare premium? Yes, we round up. So it would be actually $105, and that's taken out every month. The Part D is also separate. So if you you know, use a lot of prescription medications and you choose a program – then you'd incur any reform, you know, whatever their their costs are twenty, thirty, forty dollars a month just to be on the program. Now there is an application for extra help with Medicare costs off our website as well, the SSA one zero two zero, but that's a separate application. Now oftentimes Medicare, you know, people don't. It's a very complex program, so they call and say, I don't know what drug coverage company to. A provider to um, to sign up with, I would refer them to Medicare. <clears throat> they would, but as a general rule, I would say make a list of your prescription medications, the dosages and names, and talk to the Medicare about what would be worth you know the best situation for that person. Okay, gosh, so it really sounds like this whole uh, situation with Social Security. Uh, Social Security Disability, Supplemental Security, and even Medicare, uh, it sounds like there's really just a lot of help. I mean, the the, the teleservice people are very helpful, and they can refer you to Medicare to get that information. And it really has many more factors. It's not just black and white, is it? No, it's actually very complex, and, you know, you have to keep in mind you're dealing with major, major conglomerates. So it's sometimes the... Uh, processing times are a little longer than what they should be, but if you're a patient and you get through the process, there is a lot of resources out there. Yeah, well, that sounds really, really good. So the safest thing for a person to do is really just to go ahead and to call up 800-772-1213 or begin the process by going to the website. And what was that website again? Social Security. You need to spell that out and then .gov and make sure uh, you are on our official website 
And uh, from there, you can do the, if you're a JAWS user, just, you know, uh, you want to link on to apply for disability online. And then that would, you know, start the process for you. Okay, great. Well, all of you callers out there, let's go ahead and if anybody has questions, uh, unmute your phone by pressing star six and you could go ahead and uh, ask any questions you may have to Mr. Chan. So unmute your phone by pressing star six and uh, we'll be able to answer a few questions. Hello, Dr. Bill. This is Tom in Vermont. Hi, Tom. How are you? Uh, okay. Uh, you would, he made a comment. There's the claims representative out here. That's me. Uh, also, I thank thank you very much for all the. There's been a hiring freeze for two or three yeah. years, and we keep losing staff, and we're not allowed to replace them. I should also say, those of you that thinks we get paid big bucks, we actually do. But there's been a pay freeze for the last two years, going on to the third year, so we're not getting any pay raises. Uh, but you can also call your local Social Security office. Sometimes uh, that's a little faster than the 800 number, but the 800 number can set up appointments for you. And our office hours now are only 9 to 3. And as he said, mm-hmm. we're closed Wednesday afternoons. And the rest of the time, I got news for you, teleservice centers, we work our tails off. So <laughs> I realize that. That's why I, I try not to refer too many callers to the FO directly we yeah we think that if the teleservice centers can answer a lot and a lot of your questions um yeah so we the whole time we're doing we get in early like i work from 7 30 to to 4 and the time that we're down we're processing those claims we're getting information we're making phone calls we're doing internet claims so we are working a lot <laughs> Well, that's great. Tom, I, I do have a question, and, and I hope I'm not putting you your, you on the spot. In regards to the MDWs, uh, and forgive me, people, for talking shopper for a second. Why does it take so long for it to be responded to? Uh, because I have some MDW. These are modernized development worksheets. It's a way we send messages back and forth to the offices. The reason it does because we're busy, and sometimes we forget yeah. to look at them. Oh. I'll be quite honest about it. <laughs> okay. No, because I've seen some that are 60 days old. Um, now, are you T16 or T2? Or uh, both? T2 only. T2, okay. by the way, folks, that's Title two of the Social Security, just Social Security only, not uh, SSI. SSI. That's what he okay. means by T2. Well, you guys sound like you got a really busy and complicated job, and uh, Mr. Chan, what time are the teleservice representatives available? Is that also a limited time, like between 9 and 3 only, or can people call at later hours than that? That's a great question. We're actually open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., your local time. And as uh, Tom has indicated, if you're on our website, you can go to a link that says locate your local field office. You would type in your zip code and most of the time, you would get the address and telephone number for your local office. Now, if you call and it, if they're extremely busy, it would actually bounce to the 800 number. So there are instances where you call and then you think you're talking to the local office, but you're not. So, um, yeah, and I never speak ill of the plaintiff representatives because their workload is just um, so tremendous and they're not hiring so it, it, it's a very difficult situation, but with the number of claims coming in, with you know, the graying of America and so forth, it's, we have a real challenge ahead of us. Great. Let's see, does Anna, uh, anybody else have a question for uh, Mr. Chan or uh, Mr. Frank, for that matter? Mr. Chan, this is Tom from Wyoming. Hello, Tom. I'm 65. I'm looking for work. In fact, I've got a job interview next week. I've read, and I'm on SSPI. have been <laughs> 17 years. Uh, I'm confused. I've read a couple of Social Security pamphlets, and now I'm listening to you tonight. My question is, how much can I make 
and still be on SSDI. Okay. The dollar amount that you want to keep in mind is $1,220. Now, this is confusing because the first year they used the monthly test. So let's say you get a job starting in February. The annual uh, the annual amount is 15140 but because you have started work not in January, they would use the monthly test. So $1,220 gross. And if you go over, it's different than this. PJ Gupta has left the conference. Well, what happened is for every $2, you exceed that limit. So let's say you earn, instead of 1220 you earn 1420 We hold back $1 for every 2 that you go over. So 50% will be withheld. I'll chip in here, too. Uh, yeah. You said you're on SSDI, correct? Yes. And have you used up your trial work period? Remember Mr. Chen had talked about the nine-month trial work period? I have not. I'm just beginning you, uh, after after an interview, and if I get hired, then I'll just be starting right there. Right. You'll be 65. Uh, if you haven't used up your trial work period, you'll have your nine-month trial work period and if you're working above SGA at that point, you still get another two uh, months. And, in fact, you'll be 66 in full retirement age. So you might want to check with your local uh, Social Security officer. Call the TSC. They'll go over with you specifically. But I would say go ahead. Make as much money as you want. You won't have to worry about it. But check. I do have a comment on that, though. Now, some people receive a letter when they turn 65 saying that they're no longer eligible for the work incentive program, like the ticket to work, because their their benefits, like we discussed earlier, converts to retirement. And that's why I avoided any talk of um, disability SGAs and focused on the retirement limits. Right. But what I always recommend to everybody, yeah. you don't know, talk to a claims representative or tell a service center. Before you do anything, talk to somebody because then we will go over your record. And if exactly. we make a mistake, take our name and when you called us, because if we made a mistake and told you the wrong information, you can then later get any overpayment waived because we gave you the wrong information. I understand that. I've gotten that letter, and I'll be 66 in March, so that's right around the corner. But the reason uh, I asked really, is one I'm of the pamphlets I read said that I could make up to 1800 and some dollars per month. Okay, sir. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you say you're going to turn 66 this year? March. See, that's a whole new discussion then, because the year right, you turn exactly. 66, see, that then, yeah, that's a whole new discussion, sir. Uh, when when I heard you were 65, that, that's 65 that's right now. Okay, but that has different numbers. If I would have known that you were 60, the year you turned 66, that brings it all the way up to, I don't have the exact dollar amount, it's close to 40000 but I can make $40,080. In, if you don't make $40,000 in January and February, you're okay. If you get yeah. that, tell me I want that job. Yeah. And oh, even I, if you go over, yeah, so, yeah, that's a whole new discussion there. I, I will turn 66 in March, and so what you wow. what I'm hearing then is I don't really have to worry about the 1800 or the 1200 I'm looking at. Forty thousand a year, roughly. The, the sky's the limit because after March you can earn a million dollars, and it will not reduce your retirement. Right on. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> that, this is typical. If you give the caller good news, they like you. If you, <laughs> if you tell them you're not, gonna, if you're not going to get paid. <laughs> Bottom line is, before I take the job, I'm going to have a real good discussion with the this potential employer, and I will, in fact be calling the field office just to make doggone sure I don't get crossways with the system. 
No, I assure you, if you turn 66 in March, um, you're fine. Job and, and drink a drink a drink a drink a toast to yourself. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much for the answers. You're welcome. Great. That just highlights how specific this program is, and how important it is for you to really understand your situation. Now, oftentimes people try to explain to me, and then they give me wrong information, and then they blame me for giving them the wrong answer. Well, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Uh-oh. Excuse me, Tom. Uh, can yeah, you put your phone on mute? I think you got a lot. Yeah, of I'll put it back on there. mute. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's see. Do we have another question for Mr. Chan? I have one. Yes, your name, sir. Melvin Smith, Kansas City, Missouri. Great. Go ahead and ask your question, Mel. Uh, I would like to know, when you were talking earlier about work-related expenses for SSDI, for a blind person working, 1740 it was 1690 last year in 2012. Can I claim my $104 for uh, Part A and B, and also if I have a supplemental, another medical insurance, uh, like 60 or 75 bucks additionally, can I add that along with the guide dog, dog food, and the transportation on my SGA for that month? Now, the blind work expenses... And the SSI blind work expenses are totally different. That's a DI. I understand. So when I mentioned guide dogs, that was specifically for SSI. The best thing to do is to visit your local field office and bring a list of those expenses and have a discussion with your <clears throat> claims representative because oftentimes I'll give you a very simple example. In order to get a replacement Social Security card, you have to have one of the following documents, a passport, a license, or state-issued ID. If you don't have those documents, you're going to need a secondary proof, and only the field office can approve that. I can tell you, bring your medical card, and you bring it over there, and they say, well, we don't, this is not going to be acceptable. Well, the guy from the 800 number told me that, that it would be. So this is what we call the gray area. These work expenses have to be approved by your claims representative. So I thank you, Mr. Chan. At this time, you cannot state that the $105 monthly premium for Medicare that is not necessarily something that he can write off of his uh, gross income. He would have to speak to the uh, field office worker regarding yes. that. And I think Tom would be a better. Um, well, yes, I, I, I just I just unmuted my phone. Yes, we got a memo about three years ago. I used to call try to work insurance premiums that specifically said insurance premiums cannot be used as impairment-related okay. work expenses. Okay. It said we are not allowed to use them. So Medicare, any other health and premiums, we can use co-pays for medications, all sorts of things. But insurance premiums, they said we cannot. Okay. okay. Thank he, you, Tom. Uh, I would recommend he call the 800 number, give us a zip code, and the county in which he lives, we can certainly refer him to the QMB program. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. Okay, thank you, Mel. Oh, you're welcome. We have time for one more. Uh, Tom and Mel, would you uh, mute your phones by pressing star six? And we have time for one more call. Hi, this is Annette. Hi, Dr. Bill and uh, Mr. Chan, and happy early birthday, Tom. Yeah, go ahead and have your question, Annette. Okay, I am on SSDI, and uh, in 2010, uh, is, at the beginning of 2010, is the first that I am self-employed, and I got uh, conflicting answers uh, from the local field office, and I wanted to confirm with you. I do, I did want to make an appointment to go in, and they said wait until you do your taxes. 
um, the conflicting information I got is one representative said that I would do my um, uh, uh, my earries and compare or subtract them from my earnings monthly, and the last representative said no. It is different when you're self-employed uh, and getting a 1099. So you do that yearly. So just do your taxes and then come in and see us. Does that sound right to you? Well, unfortunately, I, I only answered general questions. And mm -hmm. this is a question that the field of the claims representative, Tom, again, would be uh, more better trained to answer. I don't have any experience with uh, reductions because of work expenses. Tom, do you know what, the answers to this what question? What Dr. Bill said, take it into your local field rep because, it, as Mr. Chen said, it's the claims representative that will have to make that determination. It, okay. It's not that you got conflicting uh, information. Um, again, you know, using the example of the Social Security card, if you go in one year, the person may accept a medical card as proof of your identity. And then the second year you go in, the person might not accept it. So it, whoever you're dealing with, if they told you to come in on an annual basis with your 1099s, then by all means with that person, you know, they may not want to see you every month with their expenses. They just want to do it on a yearly basis. Right. I understand. It would come out different, but I'm going to um, compare things monthly anyway. Um, even though they said no, it's it's a yearly, um, um, you know, my expenses, mm -hmm. my expenses, which yeah, go, will come out differently. But go okay. ahead and compare it both ways, and that, and take it into mm -hmm. the field office, and go ahead and have that discussion. So mm -hmm. uh, we're out of time this evening, but I I really wanted to thank you, Mr. Chan, for all of this great great information. I think that the things that we learned tonight is that many people who are legally blind, may be eligible for benefits from Social Security, and the easiest thing is to basically call their 800 number, 800-772-1213. And Mr. Chan, if anybody has any questions, that probably is the best way for them to get their questions answered by just calling that number. Is that right? Yes, because of the individual nature of their work history and their uh, resources and income, and their living arrangements, that would be the best option. Great, great. Well, again, I want to thank you very much, uh, Gordon, for your time and your expertise and your very, very clear and thorough explanations. And I also want to thank you, Mr. Dick Burden, for recording. Uh, this is being recorded by Airs LA, uh, org, and this will also be posted on the cclvi.org website. Now, next month, we're going to be talking about the latest operating system from Microsoft, Windows 8. And the question is, is this something that people who are visually impaired should be upgrading to, or should you be buying new computers with Windows 8? So, again, I want to thank everybody for joining in this evening, and also listen to us on ACB Radio. So, until next month, uh, good night, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>